Aloha, and welcome to the show. The 692nd Podcast is a platform for developing and connecting with our airmen across the island and those now serving on the mainland. Tune in for episodes where we talk all things leadership and personal development while getting a glimpse into the lives of the people moving our missions forward. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Derek Addison, and this is the 692nd Podcast. Welcome Knights, Tigers, Hawks, Warriors, and Krakens to this interview with Brendan Kamorasami. Brendan has dedicated his time to providing people the tools and techniques to ensure that they are able to accurately and adequately present their ideas to the audience they choose. The key phrase that you should hear and internalize from this interview is, fear should lose to the message. Regardless of the message being your love of knitting to the weird hobby of making dorodango, or a message of leadership to ensure your airmen know the reason their work matters on a daily basis. Hi, welcome to the show. This is Master Sergeant Derek Addison. I'm here with Brendan Kamusami. He is the founder and host of the Master Talk YouTube channel. And I have my own little kind of, you know, 15-second spiel of what I think maybe kind of your vision is, Brendan. But uh, if you'd like to kind of give us your little elevator pitch of like what you, you know, what you do and what you're all about. Uh, and I'll, I'll do my little 15-second one that I've kind of built over just looking at all of your material that you've been putting out. For sure, man. Happy to. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, I would say for me, the, the goal with Master Talk is to be the bridge between everyone's ideas. You know, And for me, that means everyone has an idea. That could be a recipe that you have that's been passed down generation to generation. That could be a knitting business you want to start. It doesn't really matter what the idea is, just your willingness and the courage that you have to share it. So Master Talk is my attempt of creating communication tools through YouTube to help the world master the art of communication. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I think you've got probably well over 40 videos on master talk. I believe that this would be my speech for you. It's, I believe that everyone can master their voice and deliver an impactful dialogue, whether it's a group for two or 2000, you know, just the 15 seconds of what I've kind of like put together based on, you know, all the discussions that you've had, uh, and all the content that you create, which is really good. And like I said, you know, before the call, I've been I've been going through a lot of your videos and just it really speaks to me and I think that you know communication is one of the essential elements of kind of our society but also us as a as a military unit uh, communication is key so I'd like to get into a few questions so we can kind of dive into that you honed your speaking habits and techniques through years of dedicated practice and you talk about this on your uh, show. Um, can you talk about a little bit of the competitions that you did that allowed you these uh, opportunities to develop the skills? Yeah, of course. I'm happy to do it. So, so the idea of what I did is very niche. They were called case competitions. So think of it like this. A business gives you a problem. What you have, to, you have to do essentially is in three hours, you have to come up with the solution and then present that solution back to people who are generally the executives of that company. So a lot of the people in business school, and this is true with a lot of the schools in the U.S. as well, since you're from there, like the University of Florida is a huge case competitor school with Heaveners, is this idea that kids pretty much in their early 20s would be presenting to senior vice presidents of companies, and we need to learn how to speak like them at a very young age. So it's, it's, a, it's very intense. Um, I, w- I would say it's, it's a lot like professional sports, but for nerds. In this in this weird weird scenario where, in the same way you were focused a lot on on the military or other people focused on 
high elite sports teams, all of that's the same thing. So we, I applied the same logic in presentation. So every day for three years, my life was either presenting myself or coaching somebody else to present. So it was basically my obsession. That's how I, I became, uh, I became really good at communication at a very young age. Yeah, that does sound, that sounds uh, nerve wracking actually. <laughs> I, yeah, I sent you a little bit of a, uh kind of like the roles and responsibilities of one of our career fields in our group. And it's uh, the one in zero X one career field. They are operations intelligence people. And they're the only ones who really get good briefing skills, like briefing one Oh one. And one of their kind of tasks, kind of the end of their, I guess kind of like the capstone event of their technical training is called Lone Star. Uh, it's in Texas. So the, hence the reason Lone Star, but uh, they have, you know, essentially, they come up with, you know, courses of action, we call them, you know, COAs, uh, courses of action to problem sets, mission sets, things like that. And they also have to brief, you know, higher ranking individuals, there's always, you know, an instructor who's playing the role of a general or something like that. So that's the, that's really the only comparison that I can think of, that we have, you know, in the military to, to those case competitions, which I, I'm, I think as a 20 year old trying to you know, portray ideas uh, at that level to, you know, senior vice presidents or, you know, senior, just ex the executive councils of businesses would be, uh, I don't, I don't even know if I want, I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. So I'd rather just literally go out into battle. So <laughs> I, I have a fear of public speaking though. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's why, but with the pandemic, a lot of our meetings and conversations obviously have migrated to a virtual environment. Hence, I mean, you're in, you're in Canada, right? Uh, what part of Canada are you in right now? I'm based in Montreal. Montreal, okay. And I'm over here in Hawaii. So uh, these type of conversations, you know, with the military are, are pretty common now. We we tend to use WebEx and Zoom and Teams and all those. Um, are there any, like, differences in how we should be presenting through a digital medium um, with regard to, obviously, like, the pace of our conversation? Um, if we can change our environment, obviously, like, right now I'm in, a, I'm in an empty room, which is a language lab. Uh, to do this because it's nice and quiet, but vocabulary, posture, all of the, all of those things that make up a, a good presentation. Do you have any tips for that? Absolutely. So I would say the big difference between in-person presentations and online ones, Derek, is this idea of gauging your audience's reaction. So let's say we're all in a room together. I'm giving the workshop to your military unit on how to present or how to communicate your ideas to the world. And I see a joke. Two things will happen. One, you'll either laugh at the joke and say, man, Brendan's such a funny person, or more likely, number two, you'll all look at me and say, wow, this guy's really not funny. You should not be saying any jokes. But regardless, I know exactly how the audience is reacting to me in real time so I can adapt very quickly so I can say less jokes and probably put more substance. But in the online world, or even this conversation we're having right now, I don't have that luxury in the sense that the same joke that I would say on this podcast that we're having right now or on a Zoom call, I need to say with the same amount of energy, the same amount of positivity, the same amount of life, and assume it's funny. And that is the challenge of the online world. Because in this conversation right now, Derek, I have no clue how you're reacting to me facially. You could be enjoying this conversation or just going like, oh, but I won't know. But I know, I know you're enjoying it, but you know what I mean, right? And this idea, Absolutely, yeah. right? But in... In the real world, you don't have that issue. So what are some of the tips that we can use to, to combat this? The first one 
is this idea of um, of bringing in critics who are there to support you in a virtual room before the actual presentation. So what I do is I invite three to four people who are really sharp, aren't afraid to tell me the truth, and then just hammer me on every mistake I make in the books. The way, from the way that I dress, from the way that my lighting is, from the way that my expressions are, and obviously the, the content that I present. So that way I'm ready for the actual virtual presentation. I can show up with more energy and enthusiasm. The second tip is imagine the perfect audience. When I started doing podcasts, this is a good analogy, you know, podcasts are a bit weird when you get started, Derek, because a stranger asks you questions about your life, and you're kind of just sort of like, this is so bizarre. But then over time, as you get more and more positive feedback from the host that you guest with, eventually you just assume that the other person on the line is someone you've known for a long time. So, for example, in this conversation that we're having, the mindset of who you are shifts from who's this Derek guy to, wow, Derek you know, serves his country. He's very hardworking. He puts a lot of work to this podcast. He's clearly done a lot of research on this topic. So I'm going to assume that he's a really great guy and that I've known him for many years. I'm going to talk to him as if I have known him for many years. That takes time. It's not an overnight process. But as you get better as a speaker and as you start to get more and more positive feedback about the ideas that you're sharing, that belief will eventually come true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, you know, based on some of your some of the videos that you've put out there, you tend to get a lot of your content and, you know, just information from podcasts and things like that uh, and maybe less books because obviously for everyone, I believe, it, it takes a lot more effort and time and dedication to actually go through, you know, a 150-page book versus, you know, a two-hour podcast or audio book or something like that that you can you can speed up and things like that so that you can actually listen to it faster than what maybe you could read. I believe, I don't know which podcast um, I was listening because I also uh, listened to a, a range of them. You know, a lot of people think that podcasts are a lot more personal because as you listen to someone, the voice is very telling, right? And from going from a, a, a physical medium such as like a book to someone's actual voice as they're, you know, talking and things like that, the inflections, the nuances of the language, you, you kind of feel more attached to them physically maybe or, you know, it just you're, I guess they're more personally relatable, and I, I do feel that as well. There are sometimes listening to a podcast that I've, I've listened to for a long time. I feel like I almost know these individuals that I'm listening to. So I can totally understand that. Uh, I do like the, uh, the critics in the, in the practice. Uh, I believe there's a lot of situations where in briefings, like whenever we're practicing in our group or in our wing, we did a kind of like an, uh, it's called icon talks, kind of like TED talks, you know, all 18 minutes or less. Uh, I think we had like 15 minutes to brief and then you had 15 minutes of just question and answers afterwards for those icon talks that were, you know, broadcast across the intelligence community, which is a very big com community of hundreds of thousands. A lot of the times in the briefings, they're like, hey, you need to fix your face. It's, you know, obviously it's, it's rude, I guess, if, if you're not in the military, but whenever you're briefing and you're talking about things, you know, your, your face, your body language, you know, says a lot. Uh, so I completely understand having those critics in practice. That's a that's great. One of your one of your videos is like the the three uh, how to, how to overcome stage fright, and you have three uh, really key topics in there. I think uh, I think you broke them out in the in the show notes of the podcast, uh, which I, I definitely uh, love because I can read fast as well, and I uh, I listen 
um, because your notes don't, they're not a script. I, I really like that. A lot of people just put like the script of their podcast or, or their, their YouTube video down in the show notes. If I wanted to listen to it, I want to listen to it. If I want to read it, I'll read it. But uh, you, you definitely, you hit on two different kind of sides of it whenever you do the notes versus your videos. So I really appreciate that. And in the notes, you have the three like kind of key ideas that you wanted to, that you presented. Care enough to crush your fear, embrace your audience, and be relentlessly you. Those really resonate with me. Are there any other pointers that you can provide to kind of overcome that fear kind of that you developed from those case competitions? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really great, great, great summary of the question. I, I think the way that I think about this, Derek, is the fear should always lose to the message. So let's say fear and, and the message that you have to share with the world, we're in a boxing match. Yeah, sure. It's going to be tough, right? It's not going to be an easy game to play. You're, you're going to go to round one, round two, round three, but you need to make sure that the fear loses and you win the match, right? That's the key. At the end of the day, even for someone like me, Derek, the, the fear of public speaking will always remain. Just, just to give the audience an idea here, I started Mastruck when I was 22 years old, and I started coaching CEOs of companies when I was 23. Who the hell am I to share communication tips with the world? Right? I think that's so I had, because of that, I had a lot of insecurity myself. But I think what, what made the difference is by saying, okay, yeah, I'm scared of this, but I know I can deliver the result. And also, I have a unique belief system of how the world should be. If I didn't make these videos, people like yourself wouldn't have access to these free tools. So what's more important, my insecurity and my fear or sharing something that matters to people who are doing something important with their lives, whether it's serving their country, whether it's starting a podcast, whether it's baking cupcakes for the people in their community and selling those cupcakes to donate or raise a bit of money for charity. Those are the people I'm making the videos for. So yeah, sure, I was scared when I started the YouTube channel. Sure, I was scared when I first competed. But the message that I had to share was more important. So the fear always loses. That's great. I think that's going to be the topic sentence of this podcast. I'm just letting you know right now. Fear should lose to the message. Absolutely. Man. Yeah. I'm a big believer in ask better questions to get better answers. You know, I, I, uh, there's a couple of books that I've read. The QBQ, which is question behind the question. It talks a lot about personal accountability and what type of questions you should ask yourself to get to a better kind of solution, if, you know, in the event of issues, problems, things like that. And there's also uh, another book called A More Beautiful Question. We, as, you know, communicators or people who need to communicate to large audiences or even small audiences, I think that we need to ask better questions of our audience so that they can kind of internalize the message a little bit better, that they can uh, think more deeply on a topic. Otherwise, you're just giving them information that they may or may not use for the rest of the day or for the rest of their life. If they don't really internalize it, they're not going to carry it with them. They're not going to. They're not going to remember it. You know, a lot of people don't remember the messages that you that you portray. They they only remember how they felt about that message. I was. I, I want to ask how how has asking like better questions or you know just good questions improved your life both professionally and personally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to build on what you said very beautifully and very well said is this idea that the quality of our life is solely determined by the quality of the questions we're willing and able to answer about ourselves. I think the secret to my success has very little to do with how unique or special or important I am, but rather this idea of I was willing to ask the hard stuff early. So questions like, what are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? 
And if you died tomorrow, what would you want your funeral speech to say about you? These are the questions that I did ask myself at that young age. So I was able to figure out and question everything about society and find my own answers. Right here's one that stands out to me is this concept of the American dream. Why is it that we're all saving up for retirement if Steve Jobs died at 56? We're all trying to buy this big house that we probably can't afford, get two and a half kids, not two, but two and a half, have two cars in our parking lot, not one, and have a white picket fence because we're not allowed to pick the color of that fence for some weird reason. Who made up these rules? And as we dig deeper and deeper into everything in our society, we realize that every single rule is made up. So the only thing that matters after that is to create our own rules. So that's basically the, the summary. So the, the idea and the, the habit I recommend people do, besides the usual yoga, exercising, and eating the right thing, is this idea of asking yourself a hard question about life every day. If you do that every single day, I can guarantee you in 30 days you'll be a whole different person. Uh, yeah, uh, and I agree. Yes, yoga is important too. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. For the for the past, I don't know, five, maybe six or seven years now, I've been kind of thinking about how I could be a a better person. Right now, I don't. I don't think I'm a bad person at all. I think that I have some things that I need to work on, and you know, a lot of the things that are going on in the world with the racially charged situations, or you know, just the ideas that are being spread about how, you know, politics and, and uh, climate change, things like this, all of these things that are going on, a lot of things I don't really have opinions on or I didn't have opinions on. And I didn't know if that would keep me out of conversations if someone asked uh, if I had an airman or, you know, a subordinate and they had questions about this, like, how do you deal with talking to a group of people of color, you know, does that change the way you present the the briefing that you're giving or the content that you're creating? And I didn't really have an answer for any of that. I, me personally, I'm a white male, so I don't, I have grown up in a white male dominated society. And I feel that I have been, you know, naive on a lot of things. Uh, and I think for the past few years now, I've really been thinking about how I should be addressing the world or how I should be addressing things uh, that are affecting the world and you know how, what, type, what type of lessons do I want to teach my kids. And I think that's where I was an instructor at Goodfellow, uh, our technical training school in uh, San Angelo, Texas, and I was teaching intelligence topics and things like that. And that kind of brought up my whole communication, why communication is important, kind of what I want to communicate to my children to make sure that they understand it and things like that, uh, but also at the formative points in their life, the formative years, there's that law of primacy or primacy. Teach it right the first time so you don't have to spend years trying to fix it later, and I think maybe that's why I focus on communication making sure that the message that is put out there addresses all of these things. And, you know, obviously I've been doing some soul searching myself to make sure that I ask those hard questions of myself. I agree with you. I don't think that I, I, I hate the idea of I'm just the status quo and I'm accepting my status quo. And I think that maybe asking those harder questions to myself are just going to improve me as a person, you know, a better father, a better husband, a better leader, even a better podcaster. I don't know. Uh, thank you for that. Actually, 
I, I know. I'm sorry. It was a rant. I'm sorry, but uh, my my squirrel moments will will take hold. Uh, so the the episode you did about why fake it till you make it, you you believe it's horrible advice. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. In the military, in the intelligence community, we do a lot of briefings. We will sit there and we'll talk to anyone from you know an airman basic, a brand new airman, all the way up to a four star general, secretary of defense, things like that. We've given briefings to the the gamut uh, and. Obviously, you know, every day the president of the United States gets a president's daily brief in the morning of intelligence matters and things like that. Now, people who have received briefing after briefing, they can spot when you're non-genuine. Uh, I'm a Korean linguist, not an English linguist, so. Um, <laughs> those people who have sat through those, they can spot when you are not maybe as read up as you should be on those type of things as well as if you're just giving canned responses to things. So I was curious what specific items you've come across, obviously in your coaching and your competitions and things like that, where the fake it till you make it kind of mentality hindered the message that you maybe should have been portraying or you were trying to portray? Mm, fascinating question. I, I would say the, the idea of fake it till you make it, it, it does work, but only for a very small percentage of the human race. So let's say you think about um, I think the military is a good example to a certain extent because you're always role-playing all the time, right? Whether it's hostage situations or different types of scenarios, you need to learn how to play those characters so that you can understand what the real situation happens if that actually does occur. And that's also true with professional actors or, let's say, someone who, who, does, who, who plays the role of somebody else for a living. But I think in the vast majority of cases, you're, you're right in the sense that uh, fake it till you make it is terrible advice because most people don't want to be someone else because it just hurts them physically. They just can't do it for long periods of time and they end up giving up on public speaking. So there's definitely some parts of fake it till you make it when I started speaking that, you know, I was just trying to figure it out and didn't feel super authentic, even if I was being authentic. And I wasn't very comfortable in my skin. But I think the way that I see it is this idea of celebrating the small wins, especially if you're in chapter one right now of your public speaking journey. It's more about saying, is there one topic that I want to share more than anything with the world? So in your case, Derek, that would either be the podcast or the people that work with you in, in the military unit that you're a part of. Those are the people you're trying to inspire and share your ideas to them, whether the, it doesn't end regardless of what those ideas are. And then from that, we can ask ourselves, what is the quick win that we can get tomorrow? And how can we celebrate that as quickly as possible so that we can quickly build up the momentum of how we get better as speakers? So at the beginning, it's going to be, okay, you know, like I have trouble saying filler words and I always go, oh, all the time. And then after 10 presentations of practice, you realize, oh, I'm saying a much less filler word. This is going to give me a confidence boost. And then communication works a lot like a multiplier effect. So at some point you'll find yourself practicing. You won't be, you won't feel fake anymore. You'll just be like, "Well, I'm pretty good at this public speaking thing. Let me just keep pushing forward." And then you break through that barrier. Yeah. Whenever I was, uh, when I first started being an instructor, a you know, good fellow, and the the classes that I taught, I knew the material obviously because it was the first class you teach is called um, AQR. It's Intelligence 101. It talks about you know the differences between geospatial intelligence and signals intelligence and things like that. All things that, as a as a seasoned airman in the intelligence career field, I know. And it's something that if a question came up, how do we get geospatial intelligence? Things like that. Basic questions I had, but being in front of people, 
that nervousness, I've come to realize that that nervousness that I had wasn't necessarily a bad thing. A lot of it is kind of excitement because I'm going to be in front of people. I'm going to be molding young minds, you know, new to the intelligence career field if they cross-trained from another career. You know, they came from maintenance or something to that effect or civil engineering, and they became intelligence professionals. As they transitioned over, I felt kind of excited that I was going to share my experiences in the intelligence community and to these either brand new airmen, 17, eight years, 18 years old sometimes, uh, all the way up to, you know, people who are older than me. I think I think you could join at 38 or now or something. It's, it's, it's oh. weird. So definitely after that first or second run through, I definitely felt a lot more confident. Are there any times where you maybe gave the same exact presentation on multiple occasions? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, just to give you an idea, Derek, like, I've probably done the same keynote three, four hundred times now, not oh, wow. 30 times, 300. Yeah, and I think that's what most people don't get. And I think an analogy to what you were doing in the military, it, it, the, the old saying goes, right, and applies as, as it is, as it is true in public speaking, as it is in the military, you always default to your level of training. Right. Always. Right. Right. If there's a situation that happens, but you've dealt with that scenario 150 times, you know exactly how to deal with it. But if you didn't practice enough and that situation occurs and you didn't plan for it, like the helicopter crashing halfway, like you getting, you know, you, you know, you're getting shot out from the left angle or something, something's happening. But since you're prepared for every possible scenario, it almost always goes well or else maximizes the odds of it being successful. Same thing with presentations. Most people have only presented one keynote one time because they're always switching up their decks. But the best speakers in the world, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tony Robbins, and I could go on and on about every one of them, all present the same thing over and over again. Tony's been giving the same seminar for 40 years now. And if we went there, let's say we go to a seminar together and he comes up to you and he goes, Derek, you know, I've been doing this tone, you know, this mindset stuff for 40 years. You want to talk about pineapples this weekend you're gonna look at it and say no well no tony i paid two thousand dollars to be here i want you to talk about the same thing that you talked about with everyone else there's an expectation that we have of the best speakers in the world to keep talking about the same thing that's why we always pay them to deliver that talk so if you want to be a professional if you want to be great at this much like any other skill like if you want to be a better cook you got to learn the basics you got to chop the vegetables better same thing if you want to be a youtuber you're going to have to keep producing content and videos or podcasts same rule applies with public speaking. Find one topic, one presentation that you're passionate about and present it so many times until you become so good at the content that you're only focused on the delivery of that content. Excellent. I've told you, uh, I've said earlier, I'm an avid reader. I spend a lot of my free time absorbing content, a lot of it through podcasts, a lot of it through audiobooks. My job specifically as a linguist in the operational realm I normally have multiple conversations going on at one time in my ears, up to six different channels at the same time, which is uh, mind-bending if you if you haven't practiced that, obviously. Just like like you were saying, it's just a skill that I that I developed over years. So there are a lot of times where I will be reading one book and listening to an audiobook at the same time. Holy jeez. It's it's not as bad as it think as you think. The first time you try it, you're just like, this is not working for me. But I and uh, I've just read uh, Sanki Aran's book, How to Take Smart Notes, because I'm kind of really mad at myself that I didn't know about this note-taking, these skills before reading. I've, I've probably read about 3,000 books in the past. What? I, 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 go, through really, I go through really quick. That's but, crazy. Um, as well as, you know, audiobooks as well. So 
I, I've pretty much exhausted the the base library here and at uh, in Texas at Goodfellow. Whenever it comes, <laughs> what? you know what I don't understand about you, Derek. How are you of all people scared of public speaking? This makes zero sense to me. Like you read all these books, you go into battle, but you're scared of presentation. Yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's just it's crazy. Maybe I, f- I, I, I feel feel like like I'm afraid of, of being judged. I don't. I don't really know actually because that's not true because I I don't really care what people think of me in, in in certain aspects. But maybe it's maybe it's not nerves. Maybe it's excitement. Whenever I whenever I get up and and talk in front of people, I don't know. It's just it is weird. I know. I'm sorry. I'm weird. It's fine. No, you don't have to apologize. I, I think the reason why I'm saying this is I think it would be huge value to you to kind of explain why the fear of public speaking exists. If, if that's something you want me to cover, I think that would be super fascinating to you. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So so I've, I've pondered this question a lot, and, I, and I'm always shocked when I see the rest of the industry kind of just thinking, hey, like, what, no one asks themselves where it comes from. And the answer is, is school. Think about it. All the presentations you get in your life are not optional. They're mandatory. Right? You, you have to give the presentation. You don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Derek, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody says that unless you're in my crazy competition program. But everyone else, the other 30 million, 300 million, wherever you live, of people don't, don't do that. But you're in school, and three things happen. So now you're in high school. So you're 15, 17 years old. Three things happen because that's where you learn the conditioning of who you are as a speaker and as a person. First thing, you never get to pick the topic. And if you do, it's generally something you're not passionate about. Two, you're always presenting to students who don't care to listen to you. Not because they don't care about you. You're a great guy. I'm a great person. Everyone listening to the show is great. The issue is that they're presenting 10 minutes after yours. So they're worried about their own presentation, not paying attention to what you're saying. Not because you're a bad speaker, but because they're always in their head. And three, teachers. Teachers are very well-educated, very well-intentioned, and also very stressed. they got two classes to go through, 70 students to coach and train. They don't have time to coach everybody on communication. The curriculum just doesn't allow them to do it. And all of this gets repeated in every subject that we give in our lives. French, sciences, math, languages, on and on and on. We're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore. If we're at school... It's tied to a grade. If we're at work, it's tied to a result. And if we fail at any part of that journey, we get punished for it. So the punchline, Derek, is to understand the following. The fear of public speaking has nothing to do with us. My most successful client is six years old. The issue is the system in which we grew up learning the skill in the first place. That's where the fear of public speaking comes from. Yeah, I've never thought about that. And you're absolutely right. I really could not care less about the structure of a plant cell. But I had to make one at home. I had to make an edible version. And then the next day, I had to talk about the mitochondria, the chloroplasts, all of those things. And I did not care two craps about a plant cell. Everyone in that room had to do the exact same briefing. And we were all doing the exact same thing, too. Everyone was briefing. Everyone was briefing or, you know, I guess presenting their edible version of the cell and explaining what all the different pieces, this is what the mitochondria do. This is what all of the things, I'm trying to think of a speech or any type of presentation I gave in school outside of actual like drama or theater class that I didn't, that I wanted to do actually, that I got to choose. And I can't think of one. There you go. Interesting. 
Anyway, the point I'm driving is because the fear of public speaking is our fault, it means we can all solve it. Like, it's not that we're bad speakers. This is the way that we grew up. That's what, back to the six-year-old girl I was talking about, one of my, one of my executives is kids. The reason she's such a phenomenal speaker is because her perception of public speaking is different. The way that I sell public speaking to her, it's not this chore. I make her pick her own topic. I said, what do you like to talk about? She said, I want to talk about my first day of school. I was like, perfect. Let's make a topic. Let's make a presentation around that. Then she started singing songs. She had her own professional microphone. She did a fantastic job. That's the point, is we need to start changing the way that other everyone perceives communication. And by changing that perception, which I hope to do at scale with Master Talk, we can live in a world where nobody has to scare, be scared of public speaking. If you weren't scared of public speaking, you would be speaking to a thousand of these people in the military. You'd be inspiring more people. You'd be changing more lives. And I want that for everybody, whether you want to speak to three people instead of one or 3,000. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I've been thinking about doing a podcast for probably seven years now. In the military, you know, the different rank structure that we have. I was an, an E6, which is a technical sergeant in the in the Air Force. And I was thinking about there are just, you know, basic skills that airmen don't seem to be getting from either their leadership or through basic training and obviously through their technical training and things like that. There's just basic skills that I think every airman needs to know, you know, like how to send an email, you know, or like how to write an email. Professional communication is a lot different than how you chat with, you know, your buddies through Discord or whatever, or whatever the kids are playing with today. So <laughs> I was I was thinking about, you know, I was going to, I think I was going to name it something like technical jabber or technical jargon or something like that. And then whenever I'm, I became a master sergeant, um, which is an E7, a senior NCO, a senior non-commissioned officer, I thought about maybe a podcast called Raising the Roof and you know like the the artwork would be a crane lifting up the 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 rooftop is is what it's called the you know the top chevron of the rank you know like a a crane like picking up the rooftop and putting it onto you know the technical sergeant stripes which you know make a master sergeant I'd have to give you a visual I've been thinking about it for a long time and I've I've definitely I've had plenty of content just based on the books that I've that I've read and the conversations I've had with people, just I mean, just like this, that really kind of moved me forward. And I'm I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to take on the groups podcast for this because I don't really see anything stopping me now. So obviously I've got the I got the equipment, I've got the 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 opportunity, the space, the the time, you know, built out for it. It's it's not it's not gonna stop now. So uh you're you're just like you're actually just like the first uh, stepping stone onto the rest of this. So hopefully this uh, continues. But I want to get back to uh, just w- uh, kind of one more question for you uh, before we before we uh, end this. So like I said, I I'm an avid reader. Uh, I spend a lot of time taking in content and trying to figure out as much as I can. And for podcasts, I listened to I, I found Read to Lead podcast by a guy named Jeff Brown, and one of the I don't know. He's I think he's got like 200 episodes now, and each one he brings on you know an author, and they talk about the book that either the author wrote or you know multiple books depending on you know which author it is. And he interviewed Carmine Gallo, the author the author of Talk Like Ted. And I heard this right before I was doing that same icon talk that I that I discussed, you know the little TED talks that our wing put on. So I read Talk Like Ted because of that Read Lead podcast, and I was just curious. What books did you read or do you kind of recommend for anyone who is trying to master the art of communication or maybe even just get out of their own head? Yeah, absolutely. Usually when I get the book question, except for you, I'll give you my full list after because I have a pretty good feeling you're going to read all of them in your case, Derek. 
but for for the rest of us, I think what what I'll do is I'll recommend my favorite book of all time, and it's related to communication in some way. And it's a book called Thirst by Scott Harrison. So Scott is the CEO of Charity Water, which is a nonprofit whose goal is to help the world uh, get access to clean drinking water. And I think what's been fascinating about Scott's story is he doesn't just take communication and storytelling and leave it in the theoretical world, which I find a lot of speech coaches do, but instead takes the skills and actually applies it in a context. And in the case of Charity Water, he's been able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for this cause purely through storytelling. And I think he's a really bright mind. I think his points of view on impact, marketing, storytelling, branding, and really just being a savant and how he thinks about marketing in the philanthropic space is really interesting. So I think if there's any book I have to recommend, it's definitely First by Scott Harrison. I, uh, I haven't read that one yet, but I will. Oh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm sure it's already going to be done by the time we even hang up. <laughs> it's possible. I don't It'd probably be doable, but it, it wouldn't be good. I don't, I don't, it would, we want to do that. But I, I want to thank you for agreeing to, to come on and uh, have a conversation with me and really put your perspective on public speaking that I definitely have not been able to really internalize myself because obviously I, I, I probably would have started the podcast seven years ago. But your perspective on public speaking and just, just the art of communication and maybe the mindsets behind it, I'm going to make sure that all of your you know, content and resources are available, but if you want to tell people where to find you in the digital, in the digital world. Um... Of course, I'm happy to, Jerry. So yeah, for those of you who want to check out the YouTube videos where I share everything on public speaking, that's master talk in one word. And if you want to send me a message directly and get in touch, Instagram the best way of doing that. And my handle for that is master your talk. Great. Brendan, I want to thank you again. It's been amazing, actually. I, I really like, yeah, I wanted to focus on, you know, public speaking, you know, and, and make sure that the airmen, you know, and people in the military in general have a sense of how they can better pretty much their briefings. But I believe that even how me as a senior non-commissioned officer talking to an airman or in a non-commissioned officer, you know, just a couple of ranks below, the act of communication is important and also the message that is portrayed is even more so. And I just want to thank you for that, for coming on and letting us talk about it. Of course, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the thought from most of your questions. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So some key takeaways from our discussion. Again, the key point, fear should lose to the message. When you're preparing for a talk or discussion, have critics in your practice sessions and ensure they are able to point out when you need to fix your face. Ask hard questions, not just to your airmen, but to yourself. Finally, know your message and deliver it over and over. The more you deliver the message, the more powerful it will be and the easier it will be to tie in the personal stories and anecdotes that spread the meaning to a broader audience. Brennan also recommended a book for me, Thirst, by Scott Harrison. I have started the book, but as a recommendation, I have wanted to take my time in truly digesting the motivations that led Scott leaving what most young men would deem the life to giving up everything to join Mercy Ships, a floating hospital that traveled around the world rendering aid to some of the poorest cities on the planet, and then pushing himself to build a nonprofit charity water organization that has raised over $300 million in order to provide clean water to 8.2 million people. Buy a book if you have the means, or donate if you can, 100% of the author's net proceeds go to fund charity water projects throughout the world. I can fully understand why Brendan would love this book so much. It's all about the message. Scott believes deep down that by communicating his message, he can help everyone change the world. Little things that we take for granted, such as clean running water, means the world and literally life or death for some. 
He is the Tony Robbins of his field, the ultimate pitch man to those who believe the same as he does, and for those that don't. A truly inspiring man from where he was to where he is going. If you have any ideas, recommendations for future podcast shows or guests that you'd like to hear from, let us know by going to any of the socially acceptable means of communication. Leave us a comment. Facebook URL is facebook.com forward slash group forward slash 692D podcast. The email is simply 692D podcast at gmail.com. And you can always leave us a message on the Mattermost channel. If you can't get to any of those, send me an email at derek.addison at us.af.mil and I'll respond as soon as possible. That's the show for today. So for now, aloha, take care of yourself. And if you can, Take care of someone else, too.